Hello, thank you for listening to Ambient Light, where we talk about the art and magic of our photographs. I'm Sabrina, and I'm your host. Hello. So there are some ideas about photography and about photography discussion and analysis and philosophy that I want to talk about over time on this podcast. Uh, Not all in this one, because that would be really a lot. But I want to introduce a philosopher named Roland Barthes, B-A-R-T-H-E-S, who is a French semiotician and philosopher and critic of photography. And his ideas permeate a lot of my ideas about photography. And I'm going to come back to him a couple different times, you know, as, as this podcast goes on to, to talk about some different ideas of his and how they relate to the magic of our family photos. So for today, I want to start introducing Barth by actually just reading a short segment from his book, Camera Lucida, which is a book length meditation on the meaning of photography. The part that I'm going to read is specifically about Barth trying to find a picture of his mother that somehow resonates with him as like a true representation of her. And the reason why I want to introduce this first, even though it's kind of in the middle of the book, is that Barth does a really interesting thing in this part of the essay. It's interesting to me at least, which is that he does this very extended interpretation and meditation about one single photograph. And he chooses not to put that photograph in the book. And you'll see at the end of the segment that I read that he does this on purpose because, you know, kind of like the the fox and the little prince one family photo can tend to look like any other family photo and not everyone would be special. If it's special to you, it might not be special to someone else who sees it. It would just be ordinary. Before we move on to that, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. I have an ongoing, kind of a revolving door for my masterclass, How to Preserve Your Family Photos for the Future. Currently, they're happening every two weeks. And I'm going to take some surveys as we get into 2020. I'm going to take some surveys about whether there's a better time for people, if I should start holding one of these on an evening or a weekend. But in the meantime, uh, visit masterclass.photoxo, that's P-H-O-T-O-X-O.net to see when the next masterclass is happening. It's completely free and online so you can sit for an hour with me and I'm going to give you some tips that you can put into action right away and I would also invite you if you're not yet a subscriber to my email list I would invite you to become one because if you're interested in the kind of things we talk about on this podcast I think you'd really enjoy the kind of essays that go out on my email list so that is at subscribe.photoxo.net and as always this podcast is largely supported by Patreon. It's something I would be doing anyway, I think, but if you want to check out what happens over on Patreon, my link is patreon.com slash Sabrina Hughes, and 
Patreon subscribers support a lot more than just the podcast. So I am very grateful to this week's Patreon subscriber, who is Brendan. So thank you, Brendan, for becoming my newest Patreon subscriber this week. And I hope you're enjoying what you're reading over there. Okay, so now let's go ahead and get into the Barth excerpt from Camera Lucida. This is called what I, I call it the Winter Garden Photograph excerpt. Um, you'll understand why once, once you listen to it. Now, one November evening, shortly after my mother's death, I was going through some photographs. I had no hope of finding her. I expected nothing from these photographs of a being before which one recalls less of that being than by merely thinking of him or her, to quote Proust. I had acknowledged that fatality, one of the most agonizing features of mourning, which decreed that however often I might consult such images, I could never recall her features, summon them up as a totality. No, what I wanted, as Valerie wanted after his mother's death, was to write a little compilation about her, just for myself. Perhaps I shall write it one day, so that, printed, her memory will last at least the time of my own notoriety. Further, I could not even say about these photographs, if we accept the one I had already published, which shows my mother as a young woman on a beach of Leilan, and in which I recognized her gait, her health, her glow, but not her face, which is too far away. I could not even say that I loved them. I was not sitting down to contemplate them. I was not engulfing myself in them. I was sorting them, but none seemed to me really right, neither as a photographic performance, nor as a living resurrection of the beloved face. If I were ever to show them to friends, I could doubt that these photographs would speak. With regard to many of these photographs, it was history which separated me from them. Is history not simply that time when we were not born? I could read my non-existence in the clothes my mother had worn before I can remember her. There is a kind of stupefaction in seeing a familiar being dressed differently. Here, around 1913, is my mother dressed up, hat with a feather, gloves, delicate linen at wrists and throat, her chic belied by the sweetness and simplicity of her expression. This is the only time I have seen her like this, caught in a history of tastes, fashions, fabrics. My attention is distracted from her by accessories which have perished. For clothing is perishable. It makes a second grave for the loved being. In order to find my mother, fugitively, alas, and without ever being able to hold on to this resurrection for long, I must much later discover in several photographs the objects she kept on her dressing table. An ivory powder box. I loved the sound of its lid. A cut crystal flagon, or else a low chain which is now near my own bed. Or again, the raffia panel she arranged above the divan. The large bags she loved, whose comfortable shapes belied the bourgeois notion of the handbag. Thus the life of someone whose existence has somewhat preceded our own encloses in its particularity the very tension of history, its division. History is hysterical. It is constituted only if we consider it, only if we look at it. And in order to look at it, we must be excluded from it. As a living soul, I am the very contrary of history. I am what belies it, destroys it for the sake of my own history. 
Impossible for me to believe in witnesses. Impossible, at least, to be one. Michelet was able to write virtually nothing about his own time. That is what the time when my mother was alive before me is. History. Moreover, it is the period which interests me most, historically. No anamnesis could ever make me glimpse this time starting from myself. This is the definition of anamnesis. Whereas contemplating a photograph in which she is hugging me, a child, against her, I can waken in myself the rumpled softness of her crepe de chine and the perfume of her rice powder. And here is the essential question first appeared. Did I recognize her? According to these photographs, Sometimes I recognized a region of her face, a certain relation of nose and forehead, the movement of her arms, her hands. I never recognized her except in fragments, which is to say that I missed her being, and that therefore I missed her altogether. It was not she, and yet it was no one else. I would have recognized her among thousands of other women, yet I did not find her. I recognized her differentially, not essentially. Photography thereby compelled me to perform a painful labor, straining toward the essence of her identity. I was struggling among images partially true and therefore totally false. To say, confronted with a certain photograph, that's almost the way she was, was more distressing than to say, confronted with another, that's not the way she was at all. The almost, love's dreadful regime, but also the dream's disappointing status which is why I hate dreams, for I often dream about her. I dream only about her, but it is never quite my mother. Sometimes in the dream, there's something misplaced, something excessive. For example, something playful or casual, which she never was. Or again, I know it is she, but I do not see her features. But do we see in dreams or do we know? I dream about her. I do not dream her. And confronted with the photograph, as in the dream, it is the same effort, the same Sisyphean labor, to reascend, straining toward the essence, to climb back down without having seen it, and to begin all over again. Yet in these photographs of my mother, there was always a place set apart, reserved and preserved, the brightness of her eyes. For the moment, it was a quite physical luminosity the photographic trace of color, the blue-green of her pupils. But this light was already a kind of mediation which led me toward an essential identity, the genius of the beloved face. And then, however imperfect, each of these photographs manifested the very feeling she must have experienced each time she let herself be photographed. My mother lent herself to the photograph, fearing that refusal would turn to attitude, she triumphed over this ordeal of placing herself in front of the lens, an inevitable action, with discretion, but without a touch of the tense theatricalism of humility or sulkiness. For she was always able to replace a moral value with a higher one, a civil value. She did not struggle with her image as I do with mine. She did not suppose herself. There I was, alone in the apartment where she had died, looking at these pictures of my mother, one by one, under the lamp, gradually moving back in time with her, looking for the truth of the face I had loved, and I found it. The photograph was very old. The corners were blunted from having been pasted into an album. 
The sepia print had faded, and the picture just managed to show two children standing together at the end of a little wooden bridge in a glassed-in conservatory, what was called a winter garden in those days. My mother was five at the time, in 1898, her brother seven. He was leaning against the bridge railing, along which he had extended one arm. She, shorter than he, was standing a little back, facing the camera. You could tell that the photographer had said, step forward a little so we can see you. She was holding one finger in the other hand, as children often do, in an awkward gesture. The brother and sister united, as I knew, by the discord of their parents, who were soon to divorce, had posed side by side, alone, under the palms of the winter garden. It was the house where my mother was born, in Chenvier-sur-Marne. I studied the little girl and at last rediscovered my mother. The distinctness of her face, the naive attitude of her hands, the place she had docilely taken without either showing or hiding herself, and finally her expression, which distinguished her, like good from evil, from the hysterical little girl, from the simpering doll who plays at being a grown-up. All this constituted the figure of a sovereign innocence. If you will take this word according to its etymology, which is, I do no harm. All this had transformed the photographic pose into that untenable paradox, which she had nonetheless maintained all her life, the assertion of a gentleness. In this little girl's image, I saw the kindness which had formed her being immediately and forever, without her having inherited it from anyone. How could this kindness have proceeded from the imperfect parents who had loved her so badly? In short, from a family. Her kindness was specifically out of play. It belonged to no system, or at least it was located at the limits of a morality, evangelical, for instance. I could not define it better than by this feature, among others, that during the whole of our life together, she never made a single observation. This extreme and particular circumstance, so abstract in relation to an image, was nonetheless present in the face revealed in the photograph I had just discovered. Not a just image, just an image, Godard says. But my grief wanted a just image, an image which would be both justice and accuracy. Justesse, just an image, but a just image. Such for me was the winter garden photograph. For once, photography gave me a sentiment as certain as remembrance, just as Proust explained it one day when, leaning over to take off his boots, there suddenly came to him his grandmother's true face, whose living reality I was experiencing for the first time in an involuntary and complete memory. The unknown photographer of Chenevier-sur-Marne had been the mediator of a truth, as much as Nadar making of his mother, or of his wife, no one knows for certain, one of the loveliest photographs in the world. He had produced a supererogatory photograph which contained more than what the technical being of photography can reasonably offer. Or again, for I am trying to express this truth, this winter garden photograph was for me like the last music Schumann wrote before collapsing, which accords with both my mother's being and my grief at her death. I could not express this accord except by an infinite series of adjectives, which I omit, Convinced, however, that this photograph collected all the possible predicates from which my mother's being was constituted, and whose suppression or partial alteration, conversely, had set me back to these photographs of her, which had left me so unsatisfied. 
These same photographs, which phenomenology would call ordinary objects, were merely analogical, provoking only her identity, not her truth. But the winter garden photograph was indeed essential. It achieved for me, utopically, the impossible science of the unique being. Nor could I omit this from my reflection, that I had discovered this photograph by moving back through time. The Greeks entered into death backward. What they had before them was their past. In the same way, I worked back through a life, not my own, but the life of someone I love. Starting from her latest image, taken the summer before her death, so tired, so noble, sitting in front of the door of our house, surrounded by my friends. I arrived, traversing three quarters of a century, at the image of a child. I stare intensely at the sovereign good of childhood, of the mother, of the mother as child. Of course, I was then losing her twice over, in her final fatigue and in her first photograph, for me the last, but it was also at this moment that everything turned around and I discovered her as into herself. Eternity changes her, to complete Mallarmé's verse. This movement of the photograph, of the order of photographs, I have experienced in reality. At the end of her life, shortly before the moment when I looked through her pictures and discovered the Winter Garden photograph, my mother was weak, very weak. I lived in her weakness. It was impossible for me to participate in a world of strength, to go out in the evenings. All social life appalled me. During her illness, I nursed her, held the bowl of tea she liked because it was easier to drink from than from a cup. She had become my little girl, uniting for me with that essential child she was in her first photograph. In Brecht, by reversal, I used to admire a good deal. It is the son who politically educates the mother. Yet I never educated my mother, never converted her to anything at all. In a sense, I never spoke to her, never discoursed in her presence, for her. We supposed, without saying anything of the kind to each other, that the frivolous insignificance of the language the suspension of images must be the very space of love, its music. Ultimately, I experienced her, strong as she had been, my inner law, as my feminine child, which was my way of resolving death. If, as so many philosophers have said, death is the harsh victory of the race, if the particular dies for the satisfaction of the universal, if, after having been reproduced as other than himself, the individual dies, having thereby denied and transcended himself. I, who had not procreated, I had, in her very illness, engendered my mother. Once she was dead, I no longer had any reason to attune myself to the progress of the superior life force, the race, the species. My particularity could never again universalize itself, unless utopically by writing, whose project henceforth would become the unique goal of my life. From now on, I could do no more than await my total, undialectical death. This is what I read in the Winter Garden photograph. Something like an essence of the photograph floated in this particular picture. I therefore decided to derive all photography, its nature, from the only photograph which assuredly existed for me, and to take it somehow as a guide for my last investigation. All the world's photographs formed a labyrinth. I knew that at the center of this labyrinth, I would find nothing but this soul picture, fulfilling Nietzsche's prophecy. A labyrinthine man never seeks the truth, but only his Ariadne. 
The winter garden photograph was my Ariadne, not because it would help me discover a secret thing, monster or treasure, but because it would tell me what constituted that thread which drew me toward photography. I had understood that henceforth I must interrogate the evidence of photography, not from the viewpoint of pleasure, but in relation to what we romantically call love and death. I cannot reproduce the winter garden photograph. It exists only for me. For you, it would be nothing but an indifferent picture, one of the thousand manifestations of the ordinary. It cannot in any way constitute the visible object of a science. It cannot establish an objectivity in the positive sense of the term. At most, it would interest your studium, period, close, photogeny, but in it for you, no wound. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ambient Light. I'm Sabrina Hughes. If you're ready to start preserving your own family photographs, visit me on my website at photoxo.net. That's P-H-O-T-O-X-O dot net. This podcast is supported by my patrons on Patreon. If you would like to become one of my patrons, I would absolutely love to have you. You can find me on patreon.com slash Sabrina Hughes. And I'm very active on Instagram on my regular account, which is at Sabrina Hughes and on my vintage photo account, which is the Picurious, T-H-E-P-I-C-U-R-I-O-U-S. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.